There is a parable that was told of a farmer who uh, one day he went out to his well and found out that his mule had fallen into it. Down there at the bottom of the well, the mule was still alive. And he decided that it was more work to get the mule out than the mule was worth or that the well was worth. So he decided to put the mule out of his misery and called over for all his neighbors to come over to the farm. And they all helped to bring over some dirt and they were going to fill in the, the well and bury the mule. And so they began to do that and the mule's down there at the bottom and he's feeling all this dirt come down on top and he's kind of panicking, as you would probably do too. And he doesn't know what to do about all this. And so it finally came, came to him, he got the idea that as the dirt came down, he would brush it off and he would uh, change his footing. And uh, every time that more dirt would come down, he'd brush it off and he'd uh, change his footing. And then before long, he was moving his way on up the well. And he got uh, all the way up to the, to the top and was able to walk on out, kind of beaten up from all the dirt and stuff falling on top of him. But he was able to get out and do, uh, do pretty well. I don't know what his feelings were about the farmer at that point, but he, he was free to go back about his, his job. That a lot of times we take the things that are thrown at us and we become afraid, we become sad, and we, become, we, we succumb to them. And we just let, lay there and let ourselves be buried. And you get more like the mule. We decided not to be buried and just kept going. Today we're talking about daring to believe. Two weeks ago we were looking on this uh, part of submission. Remember the verse, resist or submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we've got to learn how to submit because it's not just all about resisting. We've got to learn how to, how to submit to God. Do the things that he told us to do. And as uh, we were contemplating this, we looked at the first one that was tempted to believe. And in tempted to believe, we saw that we have the opportunity to believe, but there's going to come a lot of things along our path that are going to try and get us to believe something different than what God said. Just like Peter was out there in the water, Jesus said to him, Come. So he walked on the water, and he was walking on the water until he looked and saw the wind and the waves, and he began to believe what they were telling him instead of what Jesus told him. And he began to sink. We can be tempted to believe. Last week we looked at discipline to believe. We looked at how we need to be more disciplined. And it, that sometimes takes, some, it takes effort on our part. We looked at the nobleman who had come to Jesus because his son was dying. And Jesus, all he said to him <clears throat> was six words. Go your way. Your son lives. And he didn't make the day trip to go on back to where he was. He could be tempted to believe something different, but he kept on going, kept heading back, didn't try and talk Jesus into coming with him anymore. Just let it go with that. And we can use him as an example. Stay disciplined. There are a lot of things that are going to come across your path to try and get you to believe something different. When you do that, you fall into submission to it instead of your Lord, instead of the Word. We're going to look at a couple of stories here. <clears throat> one in particular, we'll get to here in just a minute, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed and he strictly warned him and sent him 
away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every, every direction. This is kind of the way that most of us envision being healed is that we just come before Jesus, we just come to the, to the prayer altar, and instantly we're healed. And then we just go about our business. Isn't that the way we kind of envision it? We just kind of like it that way, and whenever we think about being healed, I just go on up there to the front, they'll pray over me, I'll go away, and I'll be, I'll be healed. And we all like that idea, and we kind of have it in our head that this is how it's going to go. In Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, uh, particularly in verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. That's the second time we read of this story. Luke chapter 5, specifically verse 12, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Three times, this miracle is repeated. Not all miracles are repeated in three Gospels. Some are in one, some are in two. This one happens to be in three. That would tell us that it spoke something to, to some people. And they put it in here for, for a good reason. Now, it's a simple healing. Doesn't seem to be anything dramatic about it, except that leprosy was a very feared disease. It's kind of like the cancer of, uh, of our day. You know, people hear you have cancer and they get about the same kind of feeling that these, these guys have when they heard about leprosy. But he came. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And just like the leper, most people approach God not wondering about his ability. How many of y'all know most of us believe that God can do things? We don't wonder about his ability, but question, questioning his willingness to heal them. We approach God not wondering about his ability, but questioning his willingness to heal them. That's where most of us are at. I know that God can heal. I'm not sure that God wants to or that God will heal me. Now, if God does not want to heal you, what then would be the will of God? The will of God would then for you to be sick, right? The Word of God says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So first off, we have to know what the will of God is. If we truly believe that it's the will of God for us to be sick, for us to carry that disease around, why are we trying anything to get healed? Why not just completely submit to it if, if it's God's will? Now this person came and three times we saw it repeated. If you are willing, you can make me whole. If you are willing, you can make me whole. The thing he had to get straightened out first was, was he willing? And in all three Gospels that carry this story, we have the same thing from Jesus. I am willing. I am willing. You've got to know, what is God willing to do for you? As we said uh, a number of times throughout this series, F.S. Bosworth said, Faith begins where the will of God is known. That's where it begins. You've got to know where the will of God is. What is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God that He has promised you in His Word? Once you know what the will of God is, you should settle for nothing less. 
No matter what your body tells you, no matter what your friends tell you, no matter what your boss tells you, no matter what, you need to just say, this is, this is what's going to happen because this is the will of God. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We're going to please God through faith. We have faith by knowing what His will is. Know what His will is and believe it. Despite what anything else may tell you, this is what the will of God is. Now the enemy uses past failures and or are not receiving to encourage us to think it is on God's side in order to get us passive in our faith. How many of you have had some past failings in the area of uh, prayer and faith? We've had some failures there before. Some uh, things were we, we asked for but we didn't receive. These things the enemy uses, he comes and he brings these up to Well, remember when you prayed? Remember when you asked for? Remember when you did this? Did you get it? Well, what makes you think you're going to get this? So he uses our past experience to try and get us into a place where we think it's not on me, it's on him. Just like this man, this leper who came to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Who does this man think it's all dependent on? He sees it all completely on Jesus. It's totally on him. Now, he made the effort to get there, but he says, if you are willing... You can make me whole. Now, it's, it's tough. This is what the enemy sows into us, is that the things that we have going on in our life, God has a will for it. God has a plan for it. And so we take things, even though they're not good things. Well, that begins to mess with what your view of God is. Because now you begin to think, well, if God really wants that for me, how can I believe the Bible when it says that He wants good things? And it'll begin to wear you down. Now, you may say with your mouth, well, I believe God wants good things for me. We may sing the songs. But when it comes right down to our prayer time, when it comes right down to when lying uh, liars come into our path and tell us things other than the, what the Word of God says, we begin to latch hold. We begin to believe those things have to say. All right, let's get over to our, our main text here. And this is in Second Kings chapter 5. I was looking back over this. This is the... the the story I had envisioned we would we would get to here. This is our sort of a mini series in a series. This is our third one on this uh, this part of believing something false. But about a, it was about a year ago we looked at this last. We've looked at it a handful of times over the the years here, but it's about a year ago we went over this last in Second Kings chapter five, verse one. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Now, he's a leper, but he's still commander of the army. Israel put lepers out of the city. But they were the ones, that, as far as we know, Syrians didn't. They still had them in. And there, apparently there's uh, different kinds of leprosy. There's some that's more contagious than others. I guess he was deemed to have a type that was not contagious. So he was still over the army. He was successful. You got a guy in there who's bringing victory to you. You kind of want to try and keep him in that place. He's helping you out. 
So they had gone on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. It may be that they raided Israel. It may be that they raided someplace else that this girl had been taken captive by some other enemy because Israel, the north is talking about the northern tribe, not the whole 12 tribes. We're at this point in Kings, we are in a north tribe and a southern tribes. And so this is the northern tribes when it talks about Israel. They had gone on raids. She's a, she's a, a child of Israel. She's a daughter of Israel. She comes from the northern area. Well, they had not sought God since the very days of their founding. As soon as Jeroboam took the throne, he began to lead them in a perverted worship of Jehovah and then eventually idolatrous worship came in and by this point, there was a lot of idolatrous worship that was there. And God said, if you worship idols, your enemies are going to come and they're going to defeat you. So it was something that God told them would happen, but they did it anyway. So anyway, this young girl from the land of Israel, she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, and that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Well, we'll get back to what all the things he says, but let's go first to this part. This, this girl was taken captive, was in Naaman's house. Naaman is sick with leprosy. We know the end of the story that he gets healed. Is it God's will that this woman, this girl, this daughter, that she was taken captive, that she would be in the household of Naaman so that she would be able to give a report so that he would go and seek after Elisha? See, a lot of times we look at this and we see good results and we, must, we just determine, well, that must be God's will. Can you imagine God who says, in order for me to minister to this heathen guy over here that I'm powerful I'm going to take one of my children have them become captive have them become a slave have them not in control of where they go and when they, what they can do and uh, just for the purpose of ministering to this one no not at all but you'll hear the same kind of thing people will say well I got sick and I was in the hospital and while I was in the hospital I was able to witness to some people well how much better if you go in there and witness in the hospital when you're well why do you have to get sick to go into the hospital? If God's leading you to do that, why can't God tell you to go in there when you're well? But you see, we'll, we'll settle for something that the Word of God does not say because good things came from it. Well, God even says in the book of Romans that I'll take even what the enemy meant for destruction and I'll turn it around for good. So God didn't have the purpose or the will for that thing, but He's going to turn it around for good. God can turn those things around for good in your life, but you still need to find out what is the will of God. I mean, if that was the will of God, now that she delivered that message, is it the will of God for her to become free? Suddenly? See, we, we get messed up on this, but we're tempted to believe some things that are not true. And once we start believing some of those things that are not true, then other things begin to take root in our life that also are not true. And then once those things take root, then other things begin to come in. That's why uh, three weeks ago, we, when we started these, these three, we looked at 
false teaching, how that comes in. Because you need to understand how false teaching comes in, how it gets a hold of people, how false teachers become false teachers. You have to understand that process. Because that's how the enemy always gets the lie into us. Brother Rick Renner said, you cannot be a deceiver until you are first deceived. I mean, it sounds simple, but (laughs) think about that. You have to be deceived first. So if you understand how the enemy comes in to deceive you and you stay alert to that and don't become deceived, then you won't be a deceiver. But how many Christians are going around spreading words about what the will of God is? What are they doing? Are they not deceiving people that are around them? And how did they come to, de- to do that? They fell victim to the deception first. Again, you cannot become a deceiver unless you are first deceived. But you find Christians out there and they are passionate that it is God's will that this bad thing happened to me. And you see, once the devil gets you to, to buy into that, you become passive in your faith You look at it all being on God and none of it being on you and then you just sit there and take it. And the enemy can throw anything he wants to you and just simply say, it's the will of God. Well, if it's God's will. If it's God's will. Now, I'll tell you what. this, This deception is well inside the church. And believers, some of them who who call themselves faith people, have fallen victim to this completely. You hear them, they got prayed for, they got healed, and you talk to them a week later, well, I thought I was healed, but that pain came back. And I was feeling that pain. I thought I was healed. I guess I wasn't. I guess it's just not my time yet to be healed. But I believe that God will heal me. Deception. And what happens? What's this person believing for now? Well, I'm just waiting for the right time. When God says it's the right time and I receive, we become passive in our faith. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to become passive in your faith. Because if you are aggressive with your faith, then you will do what? Resist the enemy. See, we look like we submitted to the will of God. And we talk about like I'm submitted. Well, whatever God wants to do, I just submit to it. But I'm not submitted to the will of God. I'm submitted to something else and therefore compromised in my ability to resist the enemy. And so even if I do try and resist him, he doesn't have to listen because I'm not submitted to God. I'm submitted to his lie. What, what should you do when that pain comes up? Well, I tried when that pain came up. I spoke to it. I spoke to it day after day for several days and it didn't go away. And so then finally... I just determined that it was the will of God. No, don't do that. How long should you stay, stay at it? Until the doggone thing goes away. <laughs> you just keep going at it. That is yours. If you believe that the will of God is for it to be yours, you will aggressively go after it. Not passively sit there and wait for God to do his part. You will go after it. You will get mad. When the devil begins to take something from you, you will get mad when that's not going on and happening for you. No, you can't do that. You can't take that away. But instead, we're going to God and we're complaining to God or talking to God. God, whenever you're ready to take this away, I just thank you that I've received that. When you're ready to take this away, I just received that. 
Nothing. No, 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 no. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Resisting is an aggressive stance. It's not passive. You ever see one of those dogs who likes to play tug of war? I mean, they're not passive. They get in there. I mean, we, we had the little pug dog. Pug dogs are not good at tug of war, but they think they are. They think they are. And so, you know, he, was, he would get hold of that thing. He did it much more when he was younger. When he got older, he, 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 I think he even knew he wasn't good at it anymore. But he would get hold of that thing, and he would grab hold, and he'd shake, and he'd growl. And you're just sitting there with a little finger, you know, just holding on to it. It's just a little pug dog. It's just, he's not able to do anything at all. But he thinks he's able to do all sorts of stuff. He, you know, they're just... But you get one of those dogs who's really good at it, those bulldogs. Bulldogs are good at tug of, tug of war. They get hold of that. You are, you are not going to get that off of that. That dog, you can hang that dog up in the air. It is still going to hang on. You ever seen that going? Pick the dog right on up. You, you shake the thing. And he gets mad that you're shaking it. You know, he started shaking it some more. <laughs> That's how you got to get. You got to get like, like that. Brother Hagin used to teach us. You got to get like one of those uh, bulldogs. I think he would, he would, one of those bulldogs who gets hold of a bone and you can't get rid of it. You can't get it out of its mouth. He's not going to let it go. But see, too often we let go of the, of the things that we say are God's will in our life. And the enemy comes along and he throws a lie. He throws a, a pain. He throws a thought. And what do we do? Quit. Well, I guess it's not for me. I, th- I, I, thought, God, I thought God was going to do this. I guess he just didn't do it now. I know God can. I know God can. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I know God can. He's just not ready to do it for me yet. I guess there's still something I need to learn. That's wrong. That's a person who doesn't know what the will of God is. We've settled on something else. And the devil just uses our past failures, things that didn't work for us before, to come on and just heap that on us. And we just keep hanging on to it. But anyway, he brought the letter to the king. When this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider... And see how he seeks to quarrel with me. And so it was. When Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. That he sent to the king saying. Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Why in the world are you carrying on like this? This is an opportunity for God to show his might. This is an opportunity for God to show himself strong. Why are you carrying on? Bring him over here. Now again, the king is not a believer. Now you may ask me how we know that because he's not identified in here. It's real easy. Northern king, how many good kings did they have? Zero. Not a single good king in the north. Not a one. Now one guy looked like he might be good, but as soon as he took the throne, he turned bad. Remember Jehu? He looked like he might be good. As soon as he took the throne, he took, turned bad. Jeroboam, God handpicked him. And as soon as he took the throne, as soon as he took the throne, he turned bad. Set up the golden calves. There are some kings that as soon as they were coming in there, 
They looked like they were good, but as soon as they got in, bad. Bad king. So, if you see king of Israel, and we're already in the northern and southern tribes, you already know, bad king. Bad king. There were some good kings down in the south, but all the kings up in the north, they're bad. There's not a single good one. Not a single one who led the people to go after God. So, we know that about this, this guy. So, Elisha says, well, send him on down here to me. So, Naaman went with his horses and chariot. And he stood at the door of the Elisha's house. So he's got horses. He's probably in the chariot. He's got horses all around him. Comes in the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now who delivered this message? A servant. Now, how big of a house do you think Elisha has? Probably not very. He's not a king. He's a prophet. Get this, folks. He's a prophet of God in a nation that doesn't worship God. How much call do you think there is for him? Remember his predecessor, Elijah. Every time Elijah showed up, what did Elijah have to say? Generally, nothing good. We've been talking about it on Wednesday nights. Elijah is not the prophet. He didn't, he didn't put, either he didn't tolerate it or he didn't see it as call something. You don't call on Elijah. Elijah calls on you. He basically stays away from all people until God gives him a message. And then he goes wherever he needs to go and is as bold as he needs to be. And he proclaims the message. Generally, he's telling you why you're going to die. He's telling you why bad things are going to happen because he's in a nation that doesn't serve God. And then after he says his peace, he heads on his, his way out. We never find a case where anybody ever sought after Elijah for a word from God. Now, we saw that there were kings who sometimes sought the word of God. If you've been there on Wednesday nights or if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll see that they sometimes sought for, for prophets during the time of Elijah. But never did they call Elijah. They called other ones. Several times they called other prophets. Micaiah, that whole story came out under the, the time when Elijah was the main prophet. They didn't call Elijah. Who did they call? Micaiah. And you found some other times they did that as well. You don't call on Elijah. Elijah calls on you. But Elisha was different. Elisha, you could call on Elisha. Elisha left himself open and people often called on him. They came to Elisha. We're here to seek after the Lord. Okay, what do you want? And he would do that. So this is not unusual for Elisha for someone to come and to call. But he sends his servant. This is a man of high honor, Naaman. And Elisha sends his servant. Why does he do that? Maybe he's just sitting around saying, I wonder what would really get Naaman mad. What can I do to really... I don't like Naaman. We don't like Syrians. What can I do to get him... I know. I I won't go to the door. I I won't go to the door. I'll just send somebody else. And he sent him a message. What can I do that... What can I say to Naaman? Just really make him upset. I know. Let's go tell him to wash in a dirty river. That'll be good. Yeah, go take a bath in a dirty river. 
that's not the, the Jordan was a very muddy looking river. It's not a very clean looking river at all. But if someone were to come to you and say, "Go take a dip in the Schuylkill," <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, now we're on the same page. But if somebody says to you, "Go take a dip in the Schuylkill River," I mean, we're talking down in the city, not in the other places where it's not uh, been messed up yet. How many of you are going to go out there? <laughs> but Brother Doug Jones tells a story of the Arkansas. Uh, the Arkansas became a polluted river, but if you look at it, it looks really nice. I used to run up and down the, the banks of the uh, Arkansas all the time. And he says that they used to have this once-a-year festival. I never saw it. never happened when I was there. Maybe it predated me or I just wasn't aware when it was going on. But what they would do is that people would make up a raft out of anything that they wanted to make the raft up out of. And they would then put the raft on the Arkansas River and they would proceed on down the river, and you would be attacked by everybody else who was on the river. The purpose was to see who would actually finish and get their raft from the starting point to the, to the end point. You couldn't buy any professional rafts. They couldn't be any blow-up things. You had to make it out of wood or whatever it is that you could find out. You had to make it. And so, you know, maybe uh, people would be lined up on the banks of the river to watch the battles that would go on as they would attack each other and try and capsize their other raft and try and break it up and, and so forth. And so the people would be in the water of the Arkansas. And apparently people were getting sick from being in the water of the Arkansas. And it wasn't good, so they eventually just said, it's a poison river, no one can swim in it anymore, and you're not allowed to swim in the, the Arkansas from what I understand. Now, I didn't know any of that was going on when I was down there, but apparently that was, uh, was happening. Brother Doug's been around Tulsa a whole lot longer than I have, so I'm going to default to his expertise on that. And so apparently you're not allowed to go in and swim in the, the Arkansas. Um, I knew you weren't allowed to eat the fish out of it, but that's, um, that's one of those things. So he's telling them, that's, that's telling them to go and, and dip in it. Now this is not polluted with chemicals. This is polluted and it, it's just dirty. If you went in there, you'd come out and you were, you were dirty. Did you ever swim in anything that was cedar water? Anybody know what cedar water is? Really? If you go over to Jersey, you'll find some places they have cedar water in, in there. And my aunt used to live near this place. It, it was a, she had a little pond or lake or something, and it was cedar water. If you go in, the, the water looks red. It's a reddish-looking water. It's not blue. It's, if you put your hand in, your, your hand as it goes further down would look red. And if you go swimming in it, you come out, and you've got little red speckles all over you. You'd come out with, with these kind of things, and, uh, and that would be there. There's another place I used to, uh, I found this little creek that uh, would get kind of deep and had a good current to it too. And if you went in there, that was all cedar water that would come through there and it'd be this, this reddish water. You'll have to go find some of that. I'm sure you're all looking forward to finding some cedar water and going. Now, it wasn't harmful to you. It just, you know, all your stuff would come out a little bit discolored is, is all that it would be. But he's sending them into this, this river to do this. Now, why is Elisha doing it? Elisha probably doesn't even know Naaman. He's saying this to him because God has spoken to him. Somehow Elisha found out that this happened before Naaman even gets out of the out of the capital. And he sends word to the king. So I almost am under the impression that God told Elisha this was going on and what the king's response was. We don't have that in the passage. I can't prove that that's what it was. But somehow he got this word pretty quick. However it was, maybe there was somebody just in there who knew Elisha and figured he could help and ran over him to tell him what was going on. Whatever it might be, he finds out about it and he sends them 
for him. But God had given him a, a word for this. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you. and You shall be clean. That's pretty simple. Now, why do people go to, go to a man or a woman of God? Why, why does Naaman go to this prophet? Why, does, why do other people go? Why do people go to a, a, a meeting where there's healings and miracles going on? Why do they go to one of these meetings? Because this person operates in prophecy and I want to get a word. Well, here's, here's some of the reasons that can be. Uh, first off, we feel disconnected from God. You'll find these meetings are filled with people who feel disconnected from God. This makes a whole lot of sense. God's not talking to you in your prayer life, but we'll try and circumvent them. I'll go to somebody else and he'll speak to him and then I'll get the message this way. Okay? Uh, they're having difficulty receiving from God. Have you ever felt like you're having difficulty receiving from God? Has God revealed that to you? Can you imagine God revealing this to you? Hey, you're having a hard time receiving from me. Can you imagine God doing that? You know who does it? The enemy. The enemy comes up and says, you're not receiving from God. Well, I'm not. Oh, when was the last time I received anything from God? I can't think of when it was. He gets, begins to have you think that you're having a hard time receiving from God. Here's another one. Uh, think maybe God doesn't like me. You ever thought that? Well, God seems to like other people better than me. So maybe God doesn't like me and we'll look for someone that he does like. Oh, he, he seems to like brother or sister so-and-so. I'll go to them. God likes them. He'll speak to them and then they'll speak to me because I don't think God likes me. These are some of the reasons that people will go. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who goes goes for these, one of these reasons. I'm saying these are reasons that will get people to go. Why should you go? You should be like the woman with the issue of blood. I know that when I get into that meeting and they lay hands on me, I will receive. That's why you should go. Father God, I'm going to draw off of that gifting, that anointing that you have put in the body of Christ for you said in your word that you have given gifts to man and then you listed what those gifts were and I'm coming to take advantage of those gifts. That's why you should come. I'm going because God has put a teaching anointing on that one. I'm going because God has put a, a, a word of prophecy anointing on that one or the word of knowledge and I'm going to go and receive what God has for me there. That's how you should go. But a lot of times people are going for one of these things. They feel disconnected from God. They feel like they're having difficulty receiving from God or that, well, God doesn't like me. So that's not going in faith. That's why we're not getting some of the things out that we, we kind of want to have. But it's just not, not going on. So since I can or God won't, maybe someone else can. I'll get what I, what I want that way. Put this in your outline for you. I can... I can become focused on the person and less on God who empowers them. Now, this happens a lot. The enemy loves when this happens. When you become more focused on the person instead of the gift that God put in them, instead of the God who empowers them, when you do that, then all he has to do from that point on is find something to discredit the person you had confidence in. Because once he does that, once he shows you, well, that person's not so nice. Well, that person's not so good. Well, look at the, the hang-ups that this person has. As soon as he does that, now, oh, I can't even, I thought God was using them. Oh, I, and, and we, we shut ourselves off from receiving from that one, whereas before we were open to it. Isn't that funny how God could use them before, but as soon as you found out about it, 
God must have found out about it. Oh, I didn't know he was doing that. We'll just cut that off right now. So everything is great until I discover some kind of shortcoming in their life. But either way, it's going to get you to become a passive receiver. You're going to become a passive... You're going to sit back there and wait for God to do His thing. Well, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go up for prayer. I'm going to go up and receive a word. I'm going to go up and receive this. I'm just going to sit here. Whatever God has for me, whatever God does, I just, I'll just receive it. I'm not involved. Become passive. Now see, here's a pitfall with this. Everything can focus on the man or the woman of God's part and very little on my part. Everything falls on the man or woman of God. It's all on their part. It's not on mine. Again, I become passive. Was the woman with the issue of blood passive in her faith? Was the woman from Tyre passive in her faith? No. Was the nobleman passive in his faith? These folks had to do something. There was an action that was required on their part. Something had to be done. Verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away. And so now he became furious. That means he didn't come there furious, right? He didn't come there mad, but something happened and got him furious. It got him angry. It got him mad. Now think about this for yourself. How many times have you been in a place... You're going along just fine and something happens and you become furious. Doesn't, is it possible for that to happen without you feeling that your rights or your privileges, privileges have been violated or that you saw someone else near you with their rights or their privileges being violated? Isn't that why we usually get mad? Most of the time it's because our rights or privileges were violated, right? But sometimes we get that way. You know, watching somebody else. You ever watch a really good movie? Pulls you in. Then all of a sudden, the hero of the movie, they get hurt somehow. And you get mad. (laughs) But Naaman became furious and went away. Now, when you become furious, is it obvious? You think, think, answer this for yourself. When you become furious, is it obvious to the people that are around you? You Most people know. I'm, we're not talking about upset. We're talking about furious. Doesn't it usually become obvious to the people that are around you that you are furious? I mean, some people you know, say, I'm not sure. I think they might have been upset. But when they become furious, what do you usually say? Man, they are mad. <laughs> oh, man, they got mad. Oh, yeah, because there's some, something visible that happens. Think of it this way. Have you been in a customer service line and the person up front of you is upset with some kind of treatment or the service that was provided or the merchandise and the person behind the counter is not quite sympathizing with them the way that they want to be sympathized with? And what happens? You know they are furious. Maybe you come home and you hear somebody in the household on the phone with customer service and it's not going well. (laughs) Mm. Now, you didn't call furious. You may have called upset, but generally something has happened and you have become furious because they're not sympathetic to what I need. They're not understanding. They're not wanting to help. They're not going to change this thing. So he becomes furious. Why? Why? He tells you right here. 
Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Now, he did not come to Israel with that thought, did he? He just had a letter. And he's thinking, well, I'm going to go to Elisha, but I don't know. Do I get in the presence of Elisha? Oh, I don't know what happens. But Elisha, he sends for him, come on down to my house. I'm going down to the prophet's house. The prophet asked me to come down to his house. I'm going down to the... Oh, I bet what's going to happen is I'm going to knock on the door. He's going to come out and he's going to wave his hand. And the power of God is going to come and I'm just going to be healed of love. Have you never done that before, have you? You've never had a preconceived idea how God was going to move? What God was going to do? (laughs) Indeed, I said to myself... Apparently, he didn't say it to anyone else, but he said to himself... He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, Parfar uh, rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So now we're comparing what he said to do with what I could do. Well, I could do this. Or I could go here. But no. You say the Jordan. Why do I have to go wash in the Jordan? I got better rivers in my place. The rivers of Damascus, are they not better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Now, remember what Israel was called when they're wandering around the wilderness. It was called the promised land. It was a milk flowing with, or a lamb flowing with milk and honey. They went in there and they, they took the grapes out. Were they normal sized grapes? No. no, they were huge grapes. They needed people to carry them on poles. I've never seen grapes like that. So apparently the waters in Israel must be okay. But the Jordan in particular is just kind of a it's a messy, dirty river and he didn't really want to take a bath in it. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Now you've never gotten mad at God, have you? You don't know what this is like. Has God ever not come through on you on something and you got mad at God? Maybe not into a rage, but upset. Can't believe God didn't answer my prayer. I guess God doesn't love me. I guess I'm messing up on something. I guess I'll never be good enough for God. And his servants came near and spoke to him. So they they saw he was furious. They heard the things that were said. Because he said before to himself. Now he's not saying it to himself. Now he's saying it. He said it before. He said, I said to myself. But now he's not. He's saying it so everybody can hear it. And they said, my father. If the prophet had told you to do something great. Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. So they come respectfully to him. And just kind of put him in remembrance. He says, now hold on a minute. Just, just back... Just take a step back and take a look at this whole thing. You came all the way out here because you believe that this could change the situation. And if he had said something great for you to do, you would have done it. Because you're a great man. You've accomplished great things. If he told you a great thing, you would have gone out there and done it. But all he said to you was something simple. Wash and be clean. If you're willing to do the great thing, why aren't you willing to do this simple one? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, 
Did you see anywhere in there where it said he stopped being mad? I didn't see it either. So they talked to him about going down and, and dipping in the Jordan. Can you, can you envision this guy just stopping being mad? And just getting a you know, nice warm feeling all over? I don't quite get that idea. I think he's still mad. But he submitted to it. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. I can kind of get an idea what it's like. He probably went there one time and dipped. and not, We're not taking a bath. We're just dipping. I'm not washing anything. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to dip and then I'm going to come out. And then I'm going to go in again. I'm going to dip and I'm going to come out. That's two times. You'll count. You'll make sure we're not going to lose count here. I think he's just doing the bare minimum he has to do. He's going in and dipping. He's not washing. That was the command. He said, go in there and wash. And all we're having is he's going there and dipping. So I don't get the idea that he's uh, stopped being angry. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. But you've got to picture this. He goes down there one time and he comes out. Has anything changed? No, because how many times is he supposed to do it? Seven. seven. Think of it this way. When the children of Israel were supposed to march around the, the uh, city of, of Jericho, how many days were they supposed to do it? Seven, seven days. So what happened at the end of the first day? Did a little bit of the wall crumble? Second day, did a little bit more of the, of the wall crumble? No, the wall stayed intact. First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth. It stayed intact. Nothing changed. Stayed just the way it was. I'm sure his leprosy stayed exactly the way it was after the first time, after the second time, after the third time, after the fourth time, after the fifth time, after the sixth time. I'm sure it stayed exactly the same way. But on the seventh time, he went in there and dipped and came out and the leprosy was gone. But not until he got to the seventh time. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his aides and came and stood before who? Okay, so why is Elisha in front of him now and he wasn't before? Doesn't that seem odd to you? Why now, after this is all done, does Elisha come out and meet him? Why didn't he go in there before? Why did he send the servant to the door with the message? And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. It's Elisha talking, isn't it? And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You see, the man had said to himself, God knew exactly what he had said to himself. He knew what he was expecting. And so when he spoke this to Elisha, he told Elisha all the things he needed to do because what he needed Naaman to do was to submit. And he says, I need it done this way because otherwise he will be in agreement. If you come out and you say this or you do this, he'll be in agreement with that. There's nothing to submit to. We need to push this submission thing. I need him to submit to what is said and we can't play around with this. We can't uh, mess around with all the things that he's preconceived. So God knows what he said. And so Elisha says to him, through a servant, this is what you're going to do. We do the same kind of thing, though, folks. We come into a, a prayer meeting. We come into a prayer line. 
And we think, well, when they lay hands on me, I should fall down. And if we don't fall down, we begin to think, well, I guess nothing happened. I thought something would happen. I thought I would fall down. Is there any place in the Word of God where it says, and thou shalt fall down and receive? <laughs> it's not in there. But we, we, we are people out there who think it. Way back decades ago, dec- I mean decades ago, back when I was in high school, I still remember this one woman's uh, sermon that she, she did. She delivered it over to the, the Jesus festivals. We were at one of the Jesus festivals. First time I'd ever been to the Jesus fest- festival. And this uh, woman, anyone ever heard of it, Vernon Topkins? She came on out and she was preaching out there. And I remember this like it was yesterday. She came on out and said, it's about time we as Christians stood up in the presence of God. Instead of just falling down all the time. I thought, oh, man. <laughs> and she went on and she preached the rest of that. She, it was good. It moved me. I said, yeah, why is it that we just keep falling down all the time? I mean, if God wants you to fall down, folks, you will not stand. But there are some people, you know, they get a little bitty touch. And they just think, well, I'm supposed to go down. So, woof, there we go. (laughs) Right on down. No, just because God's coming on you don't mean you have to fall down. If God wants you to fall, you will not stand. But God does not need you to fall. Stand up in there. Get all that you can of God. You ever see some of the people we've had coming through here? The people leave a little early. You know, they're praying over them and they're gone. And uh, they can, well, not done yet. <laughs> Brother Jay, hold you, stand them back up. <laughs> stand them back up. <laughs> I'm not done. He's going to pray for you some more and stuff. Yeah, they, they want to keep on going. That's good. That's, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, one, one person I remember, he was uh, talking about the Spirit of God came on him and for, for anointing for things. And he would go out to, in the first meeting, first meeting, he said, he said people stayed away in busloads. But, but there was a few people that were there, and as he was going on ministering, first time it ever happened to him, he said he saw this person, it was like an x-ray of their body. And he saw, and he described the situation. He says, do you have a problem in this area of your body? Yeah. Well, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. And so they, they came on up, and so he, he had them standing up, and you know, he'd never done this, never been in this, this spot before. So he, uh, he said, all right, I'm going to pray on you. So he laid his hands on them, he closed his eyes, and he's praying. He said, right in the middle of the prayer, the guy left. <laughs> he said, I don't know where he went. I just kept praying. <laughs> he just kept his eyes closed and kept praying. Then when he opened his eyes, he saw him down there on the, on the floor. <laughs> but that's, that was his thought. He said, right in the middle of the prayer, the guy left. <laughs> that could intimidate you. Yeah. Well, we think, well, I'll fall down. Or we think this. I, I, I thought I would feel something. I didn't feel anything. I thought when, when they laid hands on me, I thought I would feel something. But I didn't feel anything. Hmm. You know, maybe we thought there would, there would be something. Some kind of, you know, lights in the sky, fire falling down. Whatever it might be. Or we begin to think that they would, and we, you know, fill in the blanks there. I thought they would do, and they didn't do it. We come sometimes with our own preconceived ideas. And we think this is how God's going to do it. Not just in the healing area. When we have a need, sometimes we have a financial need. Well, I just believe God that I'll get a check in the mail. And so we're, we're by faith, every time the mailman comes, we're out there checking the mail. What did God say? Thou shalt receive a check in the mail. In the Word of God anywhere. No, because they didn't have mail back then. 
See, we, we think these things. But how, how is it that God's going to meet that need? I don't know. God didn't tell me how He's going to meet the need. God just told me He was going to meet the need. So you hang on to that. Father God, I don't know what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. I just know that you're going to do it. And we've gone through the stories in the Word of God. If you're here on Wednesday night, we uh, looked at that story where they dug ditches. And not only did God provide water to fill up the ditches so they could water everything they needed to water, but the enemy saw the ditches and saw blood. And they had a great victory over them because the enemy came down looking for spoil, not looking for war. They were not prepared. God has all kinds of methods. You think the children of Israel were looking for the Red Sea to part? Don't put God in a box. Just simply say, Father God, I believe. You said this was your will. You said this in your word. I believe that. Now see, sometimes the method that God would say will simply challenge a belief we might have. But generally, it's going to challenge something. What is God telling you to do? Now again, if we focus too much on the method, pitfall here is everything can focus on God's part, very little again on our part. We're looking for God. Well, God will do it this way. Don't necessarily do that. Brother, I put this quote in your, in your outline there. I couldn't really write down all that, or where it came from. But Brother Doug Jones said this in his book, if you read it before. He said it other places too. There's a God side and there's a man side. The Bible tells us about the God side. The Bible tells us about the man side. God does his side. He doesn't do our side. We do our side. We don't do God's side. There's a God side and there's a man side. The temptation is to get us unfocused on the man side so we don't deal with our unsubmission to what God has said. That's all the enemy is trying to do, folks. Get you to be unsubmitted to what God has said. Has God said, I want you healed? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe God said that. Then why is it that we harbor a belief that something that's going on in our body is from God? We've lost our submission to what God has said. We have submitted to a different idea. Where did that idea come from? Okay, it didn't come from God. So it came from Word of God. Remember, three weeks ago, we talked about how temptation comes, how, the, how false doctrine comes. Doctrines of demons. The devil come in and feed us things that sound like God, but are not founded on the Word. Because if we take hold of those, we become submitted to what the enemy wants, not what God wants or what God has said. If we submit to the enemy, how can we then resist him? And that's why you see people who have this mentality offer no resistance to the enemy at all. Because they have bought into, this is God. And they do not resist the enemy. They just let them come in. Put this in your outline for you. No matter the source, it is our faith that increases opportunity and success. No matter the source, whether it comes through a person, whether it's our belief in the Word of God, whether it's our resisting of the enemy, our declaration with our mouth, whatever it might be, our faith, it is our faith that increases opportunity and success. So you can't be passive about this. Your faith is involved. The more involved your faith is, the greater 
opportunity and the greater success you will have. See, when we come to receive, we're approaching God, not man. When we come to receive, we need to be quiet and listen. What is God saying to do? We need to catch what God is sending us through faith, not through methods. Now take a look at some of these scriptures. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Mark chapter 10, verse 52, And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. That was blind Bartimaeus. The woman who Jesus anointed in Luke chapter 7, verse 50. Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The ten lepers, Luke 17, verse 19. And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. How many times does Jesus talk about their faith? Their faith. Their faith. Your faith needs to be involved. The tactic of the enemy is to get your faith to be passive and to sit back and wait for God to do His part. And then you will receive nothing. You need to be active with your faith. Your mouth needs to be speaking what the will of God is, not what is happening. You need to be speaking words of faith based on the Word of God, not based on past failures, not based on things that didn't go right for you or didn't go right for other people. I put this in your outline. Do whatever is said, not what you thought. Naaman had to do what was said, not what he thought. Do whatever is said. What does the Word of God say to you to do? This is why we're always learning, always getting into the Word of God. Here's the thing, folks. If there is something that is blocking you from getting what you need, what do you think is at the forefront of God's work in your life? He is going to get that revelation through to you. He's going to work every which way to get that revelation through to you. You're going to hear it and hear it through the, the old way. And God's going to continue to work and continue to work and continue to work and continue to work. And He's going to bring revelation. These things are going to, are going to come to you. How many of you uh, have ever read Brother Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions? Anybody ever read that? How many people have not read I Believe in Visions? All right, here's a homework assignment. You can go, you can download it. I think it's on Amazon. I think it's on uh, uh, iTunes. It's all the, all the digital places. You can go down. You can down, download it digitally. I think we used to have some copies. If we need to get a hard copy in here, we can do that for you too. But you can download it and have it today. Read. There's no book I know of his that tells all the stories of how he was healed and other things are going on. But in particular, read his story of how he was healed. You will find out that all through that, God sent a revelation here. God sent a revelation here. And each one brought him closer to that point until he got to the day that it all came together. It is a wonderful story. Boy, does he ever put it into detail and you can see how God worked it. That each time he's working on, we're, we're, we're getting this thing going. We're getting this one going. We're getting this one going. One of the parts in the, the story is, is when he said, he said, he said, if Jesus were to show up right here, I think he was talking to the Holy Spirit. If Jesus were to show up right here and say, Kenneth, you don't have faith, I would say you're a liar because I know I have faith. 
And this came up in his spirit. You believe as far as you know. And then he went on that revelation and he got some more. And then he went and got some more. And then he went and got some more until finally the last thing that held him back from walking in that healing, he was able to hear, he was, it was revealed to him, and he got up off the bed. If you have never heard that story in the detail, he tells it better than anybody can tell it secondhand. You ought to get that, that book. Download it. You can find it, I think, in all those. I, would, I know it's on iTunes. I am almost positive it's on Amazon. Um, but um, I think even if you don't find it on Amazon, look at Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's, it's on some of these other places, but I know they digitized most of his books and they're, they're up on there for you to be able to, to get. But read that over. Whatever is hindering you right now, God is working to get the revelation to you unless you just settle for the lie. If you just settle for the lie, then he can't, he can't get it in. But if you say, Father God, I know I'm missing something. I need to change something. Show me what it is. The Word of God says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. If you ask God for what revelation you need to get you past it, God will send it. So from that point on, after you ask God, you simply say, Father God, I thank you. I receive that revelation. I thank you that right now you are working on getting that revelation to me, and I receive that revelation. I will have the understanding that I need. And stop saying, well, I don't know. Well, I don't get it. I don't understand why God hasn't done it yet. I hope he does it soon. Those are all words of unbelief, and they're based on lies. And it's because we fell out of submission to the will of God. We fell out of submission to his word. We fell in line with something else. You cannot submit to the enemy and resist him at the same time. You submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Would you all stand up? Father, we thank you for the people you have put in your word, their successes, their failures, their struggles. Oh, you help us immensely to learn what we need to learn. I thank you, Father. We receive the revelation that we need. We all have some misconceptions of your word. Some of them are holding us back. Some of them are not yet. But some of them are holding us back from moving on. And you are desirous to get us the revelation we need. So, Father, you are working on it through all the avenues available to you, through us reading the word, through us hearing the word. But if we become passive, we don't work these avenues you've given us to learn about your word. We don't seek after you. And we sit, simply sit and wait. Father, I thank you that you are speaking to us. You do like us. And you want us to receive the revelation. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We had a couple of pray, prayer requests. We have some praise reports too. Excuse me, from Allie and Nikolai. So we had favor in finding a new mechanic to help um, our, gar- our car pass inspection. Uh, he only charged them about one-third what the other mechanic. So praise God for wisdom in finding people. <laughs> <coughs> 
Um, Alyssa said, while reading the book, Connie gave us all, When Trouble Comes, I was encouraged as she spoke about Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, at a time when I needed it. Um, should I encourage all to read that passage? As We do have some prayer requests. Or any other praise reports? Yep, we got another one coming up in there. You know, I wanted to, Pastor reminded me, when we were in the Philippines, um, and we were we had a prayer conf- well, pastors conference in Mindanao, then another one in Manila. The teaching was so different from both areas. But you know, when we were in Manila, they're very heady, much like they are here in the United States. They're very um, intellectually taught. You know, they know a lot. So when we were praying for them, they'd come up and we were laying hands on them. You know, the anointing was so strong on us that we were holding on to each other, and. I kept hearing this in my, in, in some, like something's not right, something was wrong. And what it was, was they had all been taught that unless you fell down under the power, you didn't receive. And so then many of them were having hands laid on them and then going back thinking, well, I didn't get what I came for, I didn't get what I came for. So after we prayed for everybody, the Holy Spirit gave this to me. He says, think back, what is the most supernatural event that can occur in a person's life? The very first thing is when you get born again and the Holy Ghost comes to live on the inside of you. Now I don't know about you, but I never fell down when that happened. And yet, at that very second, my old nature, everything about, well, my spiritual nature, everything was gone. I became brand new. I'm a brand new creature in Christ. I got a whole new lineage. My generations are changed. Everything about me was changed, but I didn't fall under the power. And how supernatural. God of the universe came to live on the inside of us. And I was thinking today during during worship time, it's amazing how I didn't know you were teaching on this this morning, but the cooperation of the Word and the Spirit, especially for the day that we're living in, you've got to know... Brother Hagen's book, I Believe in Visions, I can't tell you how much you need to read that book if you have not. It will build your faith like nothing else, but it will help you to put the word into practice. It's not enough just to hear it. It's not enough just to read it. You've got to say it. And Brother Hagen even said that, that the Lord told him at one point, you're going to have to do three times the teaching on the saying part of things as much as you are on the believing part because people, it's out of the abundance of the heart your mouth speaks. It's the spoken word. It's the, it's, that is what gives life to the word of God in you. It's not enough just to, to think about it. You've got to speak it. And so I was just encouraged to to encourage you all speak it more often when you're in your prayer time we went i was talking with matt this morning about this we went to that movie war room how many of you saw that y'all saw it i'll be real honest with you it wasn't my favorite and i'll tell no and i'll tell you why i wish they would have done more showing you how she fought i wish they would have done more In that war room, this is how I combat the devil. This is how I take the scripture and I confess it and I speak it. And I don't just, there was a lot of um, God please help, God please do, but not enough taking the authority that we've been given in the word and putting that into action. God helps us through the word and through his spirit, but there was too much of, in my opinion, this is just me, okay, I think that we need to take more authority in what we've already been given. The one scene that I really did like is when she was screaming at the devil. She was sitting there boo-hooing, boo-hooing, and crying and crying. And then finally, finally, I was like, oh, yes. She got up and she said, devil, I'm not taking this anymore. 
no more, I'm done, you've been found out. And she goes out of her house. And then she starts screaming at the devil and goes back in. And then this reminds me of Lester Summerall. She comes out, and another thing, you're not coming back into my house again. we got to get, like the pastor was saying, we've got to get angry at the devil for stealing the things that belong to us. Amen. Mm-hmm. Get angry at him. I'm tired of hearing the stuff about our nation. I still live here. I'm a child of God, so it still belongs to me. I'm not giving it up. We have to get angry about these things. Mm-hmm. We have to take our stand as children of God and start proclaiming what he said about this nation. Until he takes us out of here, we have a say in which direction it goes. Amen? Amen. But if we don't do anything about it, if we don't speak his word, confess his word, act on his word, we're not going to have it. We're going to let the enemy just continue to convince us it's over, convince us that, you know, Islam's going to take over. No, no. God turned Saul's heart like that. Didn't he? He can do the same thing if God's people will pray for the nation. Amen. I'm off my soapbox. Hallelujah. <laughs> I just That was just burning in me this morning. I just really wanted to share that. Um, Daryl gives a praise report. He says, I thank God for answering the prayer um, to have a bus driver that comes on time and comes every day. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, when we praise God together, you know, it sets the devil at, mm-hmm. at bay. He doesn't like when we praise God. He doesn't like it when we give God glory. I don't know if you sensed it this morning in, in worship. And I'm going to encourage you in your own personal time when you worship God, the more like Naz, when you got up this morning, I don't know if you felt that wind that came by, but when you started speaking about who God is and you start declaring Jehovah Nisi, you are my God, my shalom, my peace, my joy. When you start speaking those things, you know what? Holy Ghost comes in. Why? Because he's the one that reveals Jesus. He's the one that takes us back to who Jesus is. Amen. And he glorifies God. That's what his, one of his, his um, what is it, uh, attributes. He's supposed to glorify God through us. So when we start speaking, God, you are almighty. You are the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, how the Holy Spirit loves to come and join us. And the Word of God then says, he'll put the praises on our lips. <laughs> That's perfect praise. Hallelujah. So continue praising in that way. Continue praising like you were saying, reminding people of who God is in your life and what he's done for you. Mm-hmm. Remind yourself. I was reminded, Pastor, this week, whatever's gone on these past couple of years in the, in the economy and whatnot, God has not allowed it to affect us. He has been faithful. And I don't care what they say is coming in September. Here we are in September. What's coming, whatever they're saying is doomsday. Listen, my God still says, I will supply all of your need. He still says, I wish that thou prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. He has not been, like, like you said, he's not been dethroned. He is still on the throne of heaven. He is still watching over his kids. And he still remains faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory Amen. to God. Now let's pray. <laughs>